This is Living Forever, Not an Option, a podcast brought to you by Care Dimensions, a provider of hospice, palliative care, and support services in Massachusetts. Your hosts are Lynn Skarmis and Mary Crow. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our seventh episode of Living Forever, Not an Option with your hosts, Lynn Skarmis and Mary Crow of Care Dimensions. Now, today we're going to be talking about caregiving for the caregiver. So many of us become caregivers in our lifetime. I know, Mary, I am. and Me too. Yep. I hear you. And in many of the circumstances, we're trying to balance caregiving for a loved one while still trying to hold down a job, which we do, care for our children, no matter what age they are, um, take care of our own home, we're paying bills, we're going, trying to get to our appointments that we need, and so much more. I know caregiving is hard, but knowing you have made a difference in someone's life is so rewarding. It's so important to take care of ourselves while um, caring for others. And today we want to share with you some insights on how to care for yourself if you are that caregiver. So Mary, first, let's tell our audience exactly who is considered a caregiver. Yeah, you know, there's different definitions, Lynn, of caregiving. And, you know, when we're talking about caregivers in, in, for the sake of this this uh, show, it, you know, we're really not talking about taking care of our children. You know, we're talking about uh, the general idea of a caregiver is really caring for others who need assistance with their activities of daily living and the emotional support as they're facing like a chronic illness, disability, or death. There's, there's family caregivers that are generally unpaid individuals who provide all are part of the person's care uh, for a spouse, a partner, another type of family member, neighbor, work colleague, or even a friend. Uh, then there's the formal caregivers, of course, who um, these are volunteer or, pa- or paid providers who have special training in caregiving, and they're generally a part of the health care system or a service agency. So, you know, I'm, I'm listening to you talk about um, the different types of caregivers. So are you, when, you, when you're thinking a caregiver, I always think of, okay, I'm going to be a caregiver, you know, a daughter, you know, my age in her 50s who's now caring for their elderly parents. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and the type of care, you know, you know, we're doing cooking, you know, making sure they have their meals. Um, I know I'm going to a lot more of my um, parents' appointments with them, especially medical appointments. Mm-hmm. And I'm even seeing the difference now that, my father wants us to wants me to go into the appointment with him and really almost be his advocate, where he was such a strong person before and his own advocate. I'm seeing the role change. Is that, is that what you know? Is that what caregiver? You know, is that what we're talking about today, or is that yeah. something totally different? No, I think you're onto it. It's. I think that there's a couple of different things that come up with what you're saying. Is that you know, in terms of let's look at the typical profile of, of a caregiver and you were saying about a daughter and, and this isn't a male bashing thing, but the, the typical profile is female and the, generally the person is middle aged and she is working um, outside of the outside of the home and they're and also they have if you have children under 18 you're doing that type of care as well and then um, also if they're over 18 you're generally still financially responsible so that that's te- they're working and again caring for others and then caring for an aging parent so that is the the typical profile generally it falls to daughters and granddaughters but but you can also have men also be a part of that you know 66 percent uh, is the is the latest statistic I heard as in terms of um, the caregivers are female, sixty six percent. That that's actually come down a little bit, but it's um, you can see that's still predominantly that way. But um, the other part that you had mentioned too, 
you know, and, and we'll talk about this, but as caregivers, you're talking about, you know, has your father is changing and now um, looking, I'm actually happy that he's letting you come in and, and do more of that. Yeah, because and before he wouldn't. Yeah, and and it doesn't, you know, he's still strong, and, you know, people like that, because, you know, we look to our parents, and I, I think it's actually a strength when they let you in to do that, and I can remember always saying to my parents that, you know, the way to maintain independence is by allowing others to help us. So it's it's not a weakness to allow that. It's actually going to enhance independence and keep you functioning more in, in your home for a longer period of time. Yeah, and I, I look at us as, you know, myself, my situation is being pretty lucky because they are pretty self-sufficient, but you can, you can become a caregiver and, you know, being doing, having to do so much more, yep. even, you know, helping with bathing, toileting, you know, quite a bit more, right? Yeah, and, you know, even navigating, because generally people are, they're doing that, that hands-on stuff, but, but you're right in terms of caregiving, even doing what you're doing in terms of the appointments or, or helping around meals or anything like that. I think it's just good practice, too, don't you, in healthcare today? Just people need to have an advocate. So I think, you know, I, I think even regardless of age, it's helpful for people. It, when you're going into these things, it's hard to focus on what's being said, especially if you're anxious and all of that. So I think it's good practice for to have another set of ears and, and to have that support when you go into these types of appointments and doing that kind of thing as well. Yeah, when you say navigating the system, even afterwards, you know, when you try, or even before when you're trying to book these appointments, I can spend 20 minutes on the phone on hold waiting to get somebody to just say, I need an appointment for my father. And I think that's hard for, for the elderly. You know, yeah. I do it on my cell and I keep working and I keep going. But yeah. I think navigating that, navigating the prescriptions, yes. I, I think it's a lot of work for them. And think about it for us, right? It's a lot of work for us and we are in the system. We know yeah. the system. We're in healthcare, and and it's really a challenge. So think about it. Um, for was your father in healthcare? No, he no. was not. So can you imagine how much more complex it is for him, right, to do that? So I I think it's uh, again it's much more complicated than people let on to believe. Yeah, and that's why you know I think this is such an important episode today. But I know you brought up one statistic, Mary, about the sixty percent of caregivers are female. Um, but also, there's another one that's approximately 65.7 million caregivers in the United States only. That's not even worldwide. Right. In the United States, who provide care to someone who's either ill, disabled, or aged. And also, there's 15.5 million caregivers for someone who have Alzheimer's disease or other dementia. And my guess is that number is going to go up, Mary. Oh, it sure is. Um, and you know, I, I it, there, and there are unique differences with that too, Lynn. You know, I, I am one of those uh, over 15 million in terms of the caregiving for a, for a loved one with Alzheimer's disease. It is uh, that number will grow. And you can see that the, the really the chances of our, like you had mentioned earlier, being a caregiver in life, uh, it's pretty high, you know, so that we're going to be in that role. But, but these statistics, I think, are staggering, but these numbers are only going to increase. Yeah, and I, I just don't see how many people are going to escape being a caregiver. Uh, there's actually a quote I pull because, you know, I love my quotes, yeah. Mary. But uh, <laughs> Rosalind Carter, um, I think, said it wonderfully. She said there are only four kinds of people in the world. Those who have been caregivers, those who are currently caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need a caregiver. So uh, it's, you know, it sounds, there's the balance yeah. right there. You're either yeah. going to be a caregiver or uh, or need one or both. I think right. you're going to be both one day. Yeah, probably so. And I do think that, you know, certain people are, 
are are probably more drawn to it, you know, just by personality or step up in, in terms of doing this type of thing. You know, I, I when I think back over the, you know, certainly when we are in, in middle age like this, I, I, I can't remember the last time I wasn't a caregiver at this point. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, I, I do think this is going to affect most people. Uh, and like you say, who isn't that? There might be some people who just totally stayed back from that role. But, you know, it's, uh, it's a challenge. It is a challenge. And, you know, um, so often we hear, you know, of a husband, a wife who's, who is the caregiver caring for the loved one, and they end up in the hospital. Mm. You know, there's, there's, such a, um, there's such stress, there's emotional strain, there's worry, there's those care demands on, you know, a person who's probably an elderly person also. Um, so really what we want to stress today is, you know, how can we care for ourselves, you know, which is so important because if we can care for ourselves, stay healthy, then we can be that caregiver that our loved one needs. There are a lot of studies out there that show when you're, you know, when our own needs as caregivers are taken care of, um, that person you're caring for also benefits. Absolutely. And I, and I always say this is that, you know, and sp- particularly for those who are more prone or, or lean towards the kind of that caregiver role, but also for those who are, are even formally or informally in that caregiver role. I think we, we are under the, the assumption that the better caregiver are, we are is the more we do for others, when in actuality, this is the counterintuitive part, the better care we take of ourselves, actually the better caregiver we can be for other people. So it's so important. I have, as I said before, I've been in the field for you know 35 years, and I have on many occasions seen that the caregiver actually goes first. They die first because of the stress and strain of caregiving. So it is essential that we help people in terms of taking care of themselves in this caregiver role so that they can uh, get through this in a in a healthy fashion. I know because if they go first, then you wonder what's going to happen to that loved one. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, and that's not what they want. They want to take really good care of this person. So sometimes at their own expense. So we have to somehow get through to the caregiver that by taking care of themselves, they're actually caring for their loved one. More about Care Dimensions. Care Dimensions provides compassionate care throughout all stages of an advancing illness. Our expansive services and expert staff honor the richness of patients' lives, addressing complex medical issues as well as emotional, spiritual, and family concerns. We treat patients with dignity and respect so they may live as fully as possible. Care Dimensions, one of the nation's first hospice programs and the region's largest, provides services in more than 95 communities in eastern Massachusetts. For more information, please visit our website at www.caredimensions.org or call us at 888-283-1722. So first, you know, for our audience, let's talk a little bit about um, the stresses and challenges that come along with caregiving. Oh, there's so many, Lynn. There's, you know, there, there's uh, isolation, I think, is a big thing. You know, when you're caregiving, it's it's hard to, you know, if, especially if the person can't get out, if they if the physical needs are many. I think um, the isolation also comes from the fact that when um, somebody is sick, and I and I certainly see this sometimes, even with having a loved one with Alzheimer's disease, that uh, people stay away. 
you know, there's such a lack of understanding of the disease. Sometimes it's hard for people to see the person uh, in that way. So what they do is they just avoid. So you really find out who your support networks are. Isolation, I think, is huge when you're caregiving all that time. Uh, you know, the other thing is that caregivers have a, such a hard time asking for help. We never want to ask no. for help for anything. No. So then now we're caring for a loved one, yeah. you know, and why would we reach out, you know? Yeah. And I think there's so many layers to that. You know, it's why do people not ask for help? Because one of the reasons is that I think, you know, people really want to genuinely do that themselves and care for that person. They feel like it's it's their responsibility or they truly want to do that and, and I don't mean responsibility in a negative sense but I think also for people they feel that asking for help is a weakness and that they're a failure if they don't do it by themselves or that they have to reach out to others and that's not true at all it's not true so we really have to make sure that we have additional supports in that so we have to be able to ask for help like I said, it's not a weakness, so we have to get that kind of out of our heads. And Mary, it's not even just asking for other family members or friends uh, for help, but maybe there's resources out there, and we yeah. need to ask um, what resources are there. You know, they might they might come with a cost, they might come, you know, yeah. free, but you know, ask for those resources. You're right. And I don't think people know the half of the resources that are out there because they don't ask or they don't they don't even know where to start. So that's the hard part too. I think that's where the isolation comes in also is that people feel like they're in it alone, that they're on this this island and they that there isn't help out there or there there aren't resources available because they don't hear of it. A lot of times for people, we don't get, we're not we don't get a course on if our loved one has a stroke or cancer or some other advanced illness or Alzheimer's disease, uh, even Alzheimer's, we don't take a course saying when this happens, this is what you do. Generally, we get thrown into it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times people have no idea how to navigate that process. And like you said, you know, we, they take them to the doctors, then they're like, yep, this is what's going on. And this is what you should do. And we go home, we go like, what? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And how much did you hear that first time? We see this all the time, yeah, don't we, I Lynn? Yeah, I lose a lot the first time. If, you know, I'm, I'm there with it now, smartening up. I'm there with a notebook and pen yeah. because to try to retra retain it all when I'm not the expert in it is very difficult. Well, and you have to be able to absorb the blow. I mean, I, you right. know, and just in terms of the emotional aspect of it, of when you're hearing it for the first time about particular diagnoses or, or all of that, you know, so you're dealing with that. How can you even hear some of the other stuff that's being said? It's always a process. And we see that a lot in our work in hospice, don't we? Oh, you know, yes, because getting that end of life diagnosis or then yeah. people coming on hospice, they're overwhelmed. Yes. First and with the diagnosis and second with just everything that's coming at them. Exactly. And we think, you know, and, and people think, well, oh, what was said to them? Well, yeah, yeah, how many, it should be said several times. It's a process and people don't always hear it or absorb it or, or can. And what else is going on for that person? You know, so there's so many factors that have to be looked at in that, but it's, uh, you know, it's hard to do. So in terms of the resources, and if they, they, they need to get connected up and, and to be able to have a person that can, you know, whether it be a social worker or another health care worker out in the community that can help them to navigate that, that know these resources. And there's a lot of them out there if they, you know, even... Uh, you know, what I find even at a lot of the primary care physicians' offices now, they have a high-risk case manager there. Yeah. They have social workers there. Those were never there when I was young and growing up. This is really a new um, 
new support mechanism that they've put in place in these um, offices. So people need to speak up and ask. Absolutely. And it was brilliant because, you know, this was, I, I can remember early in, you know, being a social worker by profession and thinking about this, like why, I used to think about this years ago, like 30 years ago, why aren't there social workers in these settings? And it just wasn't something that was done then. So I think that this, the format that is going on now is really very progressive and very good. And I think people are getting uh, connected up with resources in a, a more efficient and effective way. Some of the other things that, that, that people go through, there's so many others in terms of the challenges that people face or the stressors. Um, you know, when you're caregiving somebody that has an advanced illness, for, as from the caregiver perspective, that lack of hope for a healthy outcome. Mm. You know, now sometimes we might have a loved one that, you know, they have an injury of some sort. We're providing personal care. But boy, with some rehab and some time, they can recover and right. recuperate. But but we know because we deal with people with advanced illness and, or who are who are terminal, which that's that's not the that's not going to be the outcome. No, but like we talk about a lot um, with hospice services, but there can be a quality. There can be quality of yes. life. Yes. Oh, so yes. So they might not. The outcome, yes, is going to be death. Um, but it can be a quality. That's right. A quality death with the services that we can provide. Um, two of them, and we're a resource. Yeah, we're a resource for these people and for these patients and families. That's right, and that is so important what you're saying because it it, it isn't the time frame, is it? It's the quality. It's always and, and we what say is. that we yeah. push that, um, and I almost push it probably too much, but it's all about the quality. Well, quality it really is, though. It really is. Um, I think your point is well taken. You know, and and we talked about you know the caregivers. They often put others' needs before their own. There's no training. Again, crash course in what we're doing. Um, you know, you you have to learn new ways of relating to the person that you're caregiving, your loved one, because um, sometimes communication is compromised as a result of the illness. Um, making hard decisions. You know, we we've talked about this too in terms of making decisions on behalf of somebody that you love. Hopefully as we've mentioned before, that you're not making these decisions, that you're following through on somebody's wish, that you're actually being their voice. And you followed those advanced care planning that the patient hopefully did that we talked about um, in one of our other episodes. You know, even though they're hard decisions, you know they're the right decision for the patient. And honoring that person. It's a true honor to be able to know that the wishes are being followed the way that they have stated. I think grief is another thing as a caregiver. This is huge. And you know, the, the this grief is, is you're feeling the loss of, of what you value the most sometimes. This, you know, the, uh, this may be the loved one's health, um, the, the loss of day-to-day life together, what was life like before the illness, that sort of thing that you're losing. You know, so it's not just the what is, is it what the what will be, the what won't be that gets factored in. And, you know, people have to be allowed as a caregiver to grieve these losses because there's so many of them that come up. Um, and, and just the need to take care of oneself. And this is a challenge for people who are caregiving. Mm-hmm. It's it's just, cha- oh. it, I think it's a challenge no matter what because yeah. so many things get in, you know, into our day-to-day, you know, lives, our work, our, you know, we, we work really hard. We're, we're going, going, going. But, you know, especially, I hate to say it, especially as women, you know, we're, care- we're the caregiver yeah. and, you know, we have kids. Yeah. We, uh, we're doing at the house, but we don't take the time for ourselves. Right. So yep. especially when you become a caregiver and you're being pulled in multiple different directions, I think it becomes even more important. Yeah. We have to try to change the mindset, don't we? Because it, it, it is. We're kind of, 
um, ingrained. I think this is just a part of who we are that we feel like when we're taking care of ourselves, we, we feel guilty, right? We do. So because we're feeling selfish, when, when as mentioned, you're not selfish at all. It's actually very therapeutic and it's going to help all parties involved. Yeah, so we've talked about um, the stresses and challenges of uh, caregiving. What are the factors that affect the caregiver stress? Yeah, you know, there are there are a few of these too in terms of there's there's it's different for people, right? There's not cookie cutter with this either um, that it really can affect people differently. So was the caregiving situation voluntary or not? You know, so some people will step up. Some people become a caregiver and, and look, they don't want to. But yeah, they, it but might they be to. obligational, but they do step up. And that's okay. It, you know, for whatever reason, it's okay to have those feelings. Obviously, we don't want to, if we're feeling resentment and those sort of things, those are, those are feelings that people can certainly feel in this caregiving process. We, we don't want to act it out on that person. But not everybody steps up and says willingly, oh, this is something that I'm, you know, I'm really overwhelmed or pleased, you know, overwhelmed with joy or pleased to do. But that's okay, too, but just that people do step up. What was the relationship with the care receiver? That's a big issue. Right. So you're looking at like a mother daughter. Are you looking at a, you know, maybe a a relationship that was strained? Yeah, uh, it could be any relationship. relationship Yeah. What's the nature of it? Right. Because um, we assume that these relationships are all harmonious and things like that. Listen, relationships are complicated. They're very complicated. We see it all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, so a lot of times relationships are are strained or 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 things like that. or, Or and again, it can be just a complicated relationship. So what is the nature of it? That factors into to the caregiver stress as well. Um, what What is the person's coping abilities? That's so the an, caregivers, what's the caregiver's coping yeah, ability? Yeah, yeah. You know, how do they manage stress? And some people manage stress in a different way. So if they've notoriously or, or historically had, had issues around coping, boy, this is going to add another layer to that, and this could make things quite complicated, huh? Um, and, and what is the caregiving situation? Do you have other supports? Are you doing this all alone? Right? Right. Can you afford to bring private help well, in? That's Can another you, issue. You know, sure. there's, there's so much. And yeah. And a lot of people can't, you know. Yeah. And, and and they can't afford to quit their job, and they can't afford to, you know, do a lot. So it does. All of a sudden, everything just yeah. kind of falls on your shoulders. And people can. I mean, it can interrupt their, their work life, right? Because, oh. I mean, it can disrupt that dr- dramatically. And what? how does that affect you financially? It's billions of dollars lost every year for employees that have to take time off to take, you know, a parent to an appointment or to stay home because a parent is sick or, yeah. um, but it's, and I wish I brought those statistics. I'll have to, we'll have to do another episode on that, but it's, it is billions of dollars that yeah. uh, is affected every yeah. single year in the and workforce. And just for that caregiver, um, you know, I, I have, I had read a statistic that uh, on an average uh, that, you know, uh, the caregiver puts at least, uh, and this is certainly, and this was around um, caring for individual with Alzheimer's and other dementia, that on an average that a caregiver puts at least $5,000 out of their pocket every year. Now, 5000 might not seem like a lot to, to people, but I think it's a lot, and and certainly, you know, when you're doing all these other things, and then you're having any of the financial strain that comes along with it, it's just an added layer, an added component. It definitely is. 
um, you know, in between the stresses and the challenges, there's got to be caregiver burnout, Mary. Oh, like, gosh, yeah. You know, uh, I just can't imagine that we're, that it's not uh, prevalent, you know, with people. Yeah. You know, what are, the, what are the, some of the signs that people can, you know, just so they're aware, what are some of the signs of caregiver burnout? Yeah, people need to keep an eye on this, you know, feelings of depression or feeling constantly fatigued. Um, having, for people who are working or having decreased interest in work, um, decreased production at work, uh, withdrawing from social activities, you know, which again, th- these are the things that you need to do is to maintain those social contacts, but a lot of times people are pulling away from social contacts. Probably so overwhelmed that they're thinking, now I have to go out and do that too and yeah, be social. Yeah, they're exhausted. Yeah, you, that's you, all I could yeah, think of. Is you got to yeah, push yourself yeah. beyond that, right? Because that's the stuff you need the most, and it's the stuff that you're not getting to refuel. You can even see people have increased use around, um, you know, alcohol or, or even other drugs and things like that. Sometimes the caregiver even has feelings, um, fears, increased fears around death, and they have a hard time talking about these things. You can even see changes in eating patterns, right? Eating too much, eating too little. I was just talking with a friend of mine today who's, um, you know, caring for a loved one, and um, she was talking about it that she, you know, she's a, uh, it affects her, stress affects her, and that she just can't eat. So she's worried because she's, you know, she's she's already slender and she she starts to lose weight. Um, you know, some people are stress eaters, and and she's just the opposite. You know, when she feels stressed, she can't eat. So and everything you read, you know, a healthy, balanced diet keeps us healthy. Yeah. You know, and if we if we are either eating too much because we're stressed and we're we're getting that junk and we're you know eating the candy and whatever you know whatever we can put our hands on or not eating eating enough. What's happening to our health? Right. Well, listen, do we expect our cars to drive themselves when we're without any gas in That's them? That's true. Without the fuel they need. So our bodies need the right fuel every day. That's right. That's right. To maintain and to be able to, you know, to stay strong. That's right. And so it's really, but you have to make a concerted effort, Lynn. Like you really, this is like you have to set an intention here. Um, and, you know, another one is just this, these feelings of helplessness that, that people feel. It's just, uh, it's so overwhelming. Um, and so we've got to make sure that we we care for that, and when you and just again being aware of it is a sign of burnout. Yeah, and when we're talking about sixty five point seven million caregivers in the U S, you know these these symptoms are affecting a lot of people. Yeah. So are there strategies around caregiver burnout, like strategies that help them cope? Yeah, I think there's strategies just in in, in general, right, in terms of how people can and take care of themselves. I think the number one strategy, number one strategy is not doing it alone. Yeah, that's important. Mm. And and like I said, a lot of times that's not what you're seeing, uh, is that people are, they're trying to do it alone. And they have, and we talked about them having trouble asking for help. But around burnout too, we gotta educate ourselves. The more you know about a disease process, the more that it, having that knowledge is power and it can help to allay fears and it can really help in terms of knowing which direction to go in. People need to know their limits. They don't know their limits, right? Or they, but we have to know, and we have to be able to set the limits. It doesn't do us any good if we go beyond that point and we just crash. So people, we need to not just know our limits, but set them and let other people know what those are. Also, accepting our feelings. You know, you're gonna have a, when you're caregiving. There are a range of emotions that people feel, and whether it's anxiety, a worry, or anger, or resentment, or guilt, or grief or whatever it is, man, we've got to be in touch with those and allow ourselves to feel the way you need to feel. 
Another one is, uh, you know, just confiding in others. You got to find those people, and, and you're not going to confide in everyone. You got to know the people that are going to be there who want to hear it, right? And who and, can tolerate your feelings and be able to be able to listen. Yeah, you know, you've said that in other shows that be there to listen, be present, present, be present, yeah. and just listen. There isn't a greater gift that you can give a human being than to truly, truly listen. Mm-hmm. There just isn't. Uh, another, you know, nurturing your, you got to nurture those close relationships and, and you're going to have those casual ones too, right? But, but the ones that again, no, no, there's different relationships that we have in life um, and, and being able to kind of utilize those and, and, and how they're going to be helpful to us. You got to maintain those activities that are important to you. Follow your passions and, and, you know, saying that people who are caregivers don't they're so focused on the caregiving role that they they just say no well I'm going to do this now and I'm going to forget everything else you can't you have to be able to do them simultaneously because then that's where the resentment comes up and then you lose yourself in the process so it's not a selfish act it's actually again fueling yourself keeping those things going so that you can be that better caregiver and, and, you know, I just can't say enough about enlisting the help of others and, and communicating with others. And, there, you know, there there's a lot of good information. When we say, you know, educate yourself, um, look for resources, there's a lot of different groups out there. You know, like yeah. there's uh, stroke support groups, there's Alzheimer's, the Alzheimer's Association, there's groups around cancer, you know, people oh, yeah. with cancer. There's a, So there are a lot. And with, I, I hate to say it, with the Internet now, Almost everything's at our fingertips. So there there are ways to do some research, but also make sure that we reach out to the correct people at the different physician practices, social workers, high-risk case managers. Yeah, that's a huge way. I want to tell you, people who who follow support, go to support groups, is, is one of the number one things that you can do. So there are, you know, disease-specific, as you're mentioning, but we've got to make sure that, again, support groups, support groups, support groups, it, the people who attend support groups, they have less incidence of, uh, of some of these issues that we're talking about today. So it's really important that they're able to do that. You know, there's, there's so many other ways that we haven't even mentioned again that we, we, in terms of talking about taking care. So as you mentioned that and exercising and getting adequate rest. The rest. You I know. know oh, I just know when I'm not rested, I get quick with people. Like yeah. if I'm tired and if you're going to be taking care of your loved one, they have health issues, they're aged. You want to be there, and you want to be kind and compassionate. And I think if you're tired, it, right. it becomes difficult. Yeah. Like you're like, okay, I, I've had enough. Let's get this done. Yeah, you know, and you kind of get quick, and then you feel badly about yeah, yourself too. Yeah, walk away, too, isn't and yeah, yep, yeah. you do. You go home, and you have that regret yeah. afterwards. So, so it's, it doesn't. It's not even worth it because again, so then you're going to feel so badly about yourself, and it's just this vicious circle, isn't it? It is. But even things like reducing your caffeine intake, you know, even like laughing, Lynn. You know, like caregivers, you know, that's like, well, what is it to laugh about? Listen, don't don't abandon humor. You know, I've got to tell you, I, I have a loved one with Alzheimer's disease, and we use humor all the time. It was a big part of our lives together. It was a big part of her life, and I make sure that that's incorporated into every day. We've got to make sure. And laughing, again, we know that it's healthy, right? Shooting out those endorphins that's right. and, and increasing vitality. But y- you even talked about eating well, balanced diet. Um, talking to people, uh, you know, taking, getting regular health checkups. For yourself. Yeah. Yeah, making sure you stay healthy. And people generally don't. And then again, that's what leads to illness and all of that. Listening to music, 
um, you know, getting other professional help. Lynn, you talked about the support groups, but even individual counseling, you know, as indicated for people, that's a real strength. It's not a weakness. It's a strength. But just having realistic expectations, letting go of the stuff that we can't change. I know you had some references. You like some books people might want to um, pick up or yeah. take a look at? This wonderful. Uh, there's a the caregiver help book. Um, that that is out there. It's um, for caregiver services through the Family Caregiver Alliance. I am a big fan of the Alzheimer's Association. Uh, they have amazing, amazing support services out there for caregivers. Um, you know, so there's a help guide also, caregiving support and help guide. Um, Melinda Smith and and uh, Jean Segal, um, the who does that. So there's there's a lot of different references. I think it's really important that people those some people really benefit fit from reading you know and others do it in different ways but there's a lot of resources out there for caregivers and like you said disease specific too. go to some caregiver support through those particular things as well I think that was great for uh, 30 minutes and our you know quick overview uh, of course we'll always can take questions from people at the end of the show you'll hear how to reach us thanks again for listening to living forever not an option please join us next time because we're going to discuss complementary therapies enhancing well-being at end of life Thanks for listening to Living Forever, Not an Option with Lynn Skarmis and Mary Crow. To learn more about Care Dimensions, please visit our website at www.caredimensions.org or check out our podcast website at www.caredimensions.org backslash podcast. We would love to hear from you with questions or comments. Please feel free to email us at podcast at caredimensions.org And of course, you can always call our office at any time. The number is 888-283-1722.